Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. This podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at AAVMC. So today is a very special episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Um, We are filming live from glorious Naples, Florida, and today's topic is Brexit and uh, veterinary medical education and and more broadly kind of the veterinary profession. So I um, am joined by some of our wonderful deans from Ireland and the UK, and um, we're going to talk about what's going on um, over the, the ocean there and see what Um, what impact that will have on the future of education in the veterinary profession. So as is our practice, we typically allow our guests to introduce themselves. So I am going to give the mic, pass the mic to my left, and we will also be sliding the the camera and mic around today. So um, roll with us. It'll be fun. So why don't I pass the mic to you first? Thank you, Lisa. My name is Michael Doherty, and I'm the Dean at the School of Veterinary Medicine, University College, Dublin, Ireland. Good morning. My name is Ewan Cameron, and I'm Head of School at the Vet School at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. I'm Stuart Reid. I'm Principal and Executive Dean at the Royal Veterinary College in London. Thank you. So, our first question is exactly what is Brexit and what was the vote that was taken uh, last summer? So, I'm not sure who wants to field that question. Um, Brexit was a vote that was taken to consider leaving the European Union. Um, it had come under pressure for a number of years um, with the rise of a party that pressurised for Britain to leave the European Union. This ultimately culminated in a referendum being held. The referendum was approximately 52% to leave, 48% to remain. But one of the interesting things about how the demographics of the voting broke down was that London chose to remain, Scotland chose to remain, Northern Ireland chose to remain, and parts of England and Wales voted to leave the European Union. Demographics are also quite interesting in terms of how people voted within the United Kingdom, with in general younger people voting to remain in the European Union, and those that had uh, more advanced education generally voting to leave uh, to remain in the European Union, with the remainder of the country voting for out. So it's quite interesting looking at these as a headline of diversity and inclusion because actually the Brexit vote has all been about um, loss of diversity and exclusion. So it's it's interesting when you kind of break down the um, kind of how people voted and where they voted. It seems to mimic in some ways the U.S. election where we had um, pockets, big pockets of individuals or, or communities that were voting um, either left or right. And um, it seems that we kind of mirrored that. Um, and some folks have said that we we're probably about six months behind um, the U.K. And, and some of these kinds of decisions and actions. So my, my next question is kind of um, 
Well, what is the current status? Because I know that there have been some um, legal rulings. I believe that there was a recent kind of um, Supreme Court or whatever the the, um, the the corollary of the Supreme Court ruling kind of, was it blocking or allowing it to go forward? The court decision was all about um, making the decision to trigger leaving the European Union via vote in Parliament, which I understand took place yesterday and overwhelmingly in Parliament voted to trigger what's called Article 50, which is the instrument which starts the negotiation of the EU to uh, begin the process of leaving. So, so what will happen next? I know that this will probably be a, a, a pretty lengthy process. Um, it's never been done before, so I think that, that um, it's charting new territory. But in the meantime, are there any implications for education? So, I think there are many implications, um, some negative, some positive, for education and for medical education in particular. What happens now is that there's a, a two-year period where once it is formally triggered, and that has not yet happened, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, Theresa May, will be doing that sometime before the end of March. Um, but once that starts, there's then a series of negotiations with the EU to um, agree the terms under which the UK would leave the EU. Um, and how the world would look thereafter. And that's not a straightforward um, set of discussions at all. What we would then imagine, if there is no agreement within two years, then things become slightly more complicated. But let's just suppose for a moment that we do reach agreement and there would then be a period um, of implementation, probably another two years. So I think before we see any final um, um, and definitive changes, it could be as much as, as four years from, from now. And the things that are likely to change that would impact on veterinary medical education or education in general relate to um, the agreements that are currently in place, which relate to the free move to movement across the EU of um, goods, uh, services and people. And depending on the arrangements that are reached, um, everything from the current setting, which allows for free movement of all three, to an arrangement under, let's say, the World Trade Organization rules, where it's um, a very, very different situation and there's no free movement of anything other than under individual agreements and anything in between those. So, for example, and Norway uh, operates under a slightly different set of rules as a member of the European Economic Area, um, and that allows a, a certain freedom for um, some of the commodities and people um, as, um, as we have in the, in the UK currently. So, um, I got a very quick um, geography political and geopolitical lesson when I reached out to Dr. Jari here. Um, Ireland is not <laughs> a part of the UK, um, close relationship, of course, with the, the Isles, but um, what do you, how do you see um, all of this kind of shaking out? And I imagine that there must be some type of ripple effect, maybe. Yes. Um, Ireland is a fully committed member of the European Union. And, uh, but um, the, the story for Ireland is, is interesting and it's complex. Um, so, you know, on a number of different levels, because the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, um, is the, will be the only land border that the United Kingdom will have with the European Union. So that's interesting on in a whole load of different uh, levels. At a very broad political level, the, the three of us over a certain generation that we remember a very troubled period in, on the island of Ireland and hopefully we'll never go back to that. Um, 
Prime Minister May visited Dublin on Monday and met with the Irish Taoiseach, Prime Minister and the Kenny. So at the, at the high political level, there's commitment to working closely together to recognising the very close relationship that has existed between the UK and Ireland for many, many years, particularly in terms of freedom of travel. But clearly, the the political situation around what was called the Good Friday Agreement or the peace the peace agreement in in the north of Ireland is fundamental because no one wants to see anything happening there. And um, so that's that's the broad political sense because trade between the two countries is something like 1.2 billion euros uh, a week. And Ireland, particularly the dairy industry in Ireland, depends heavily on export to the to the United Kingdom. And there's already been an impact there because sterling ha has weakened. So Irish dairy exports have really been affected that way. And agriculture has been affected. So there's an, ultimately there's a, a, a ripple down effect on everything because that can affect veterinary practice and everything like that. Um, so the big concerns that we would have, because I think my overriding feeling is one of uncertainty. And that's, you know, the Irish word we use is eigenschacht, because uh, we have our own uh, okay. recognized language in the European Union. So, and, and, and for instance, um, I grew up both sides of that border. And there are veterinary practices that operate between Northern Ireland and Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. So clearly, the issues arise, one of the most significant being mutual recognition of qualifications. So at the moment, there's no issue there. But you know, the, the question is, will the Dublin MVB degree be recognised by the Royal College of Athletic Surgeons in London? Because it will now be an EU degree. Uh, and there's a broader role there. So, I mean, I'm aware that the Royal College and our competent authority, the Veterinary Council of Ireland, have been in close contact. So mm -hmm. one isn't overly worried about this, but the goal should be, obviously, that there should be absolute mutual recognition of qualifications, because otherwise it would be potentially ludicrous because we have farmers who travel with animals to veterinary practices in Northern Ireland and vice versa. So there's the movement there. There's the vets who work both sides of the border. There's the medicines that may have different legislation both sides of the border. The, you, you see animals move quite a lot like that. You could have a, a cow going into a veterinary practice from Donegal in the Republic of Ireland to a practice in Northern Ireland. And, you know, where does that So this idea of a hard border, which is the big concern that there would be customs posts and restrictions and it's something we all want to try and avoid uh, for those reasons. And, and so that, that those are some of the, the really important issues. Animal health itself is critical here because at the moment, Ireland is, is seen as one epidemiological unit. We're working very closely in Animal Health Ireland with Animal Health and Welfare Northern Ireland. So really, there's a, there's a common policy in terms of surveillance, diagnostic labs, veterinary practice on the island of Ireland. And anything that would threaten that would be uh, deleterious to animal health and welfare on the island of Ireland. Now, all the veterinarians on the island are committed to making sure that does not happen. But there is some anxiety around it. And interestingly, I think I was talking to our Minister for Agriculture, Martin Blake, this week, and, and he said that the policy around animal movement in the EU, when it was first formulated, um, um, was informed significantly by the Irish, the Northern Ireland Ireland border in terms of free movement. That it had to be take cognizance of that. So um, you know, we 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 will watch that with with um, with with you know with interest. Sure. Um, and then the issue of education. There's one vet school on the island of Ireland, and that's UCD Dublin. So we would have 15 to 20 students from Northern Ireland studying in, 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 in Dublin. 
Um, so the, there's the issue of mutual recognition comes in here, but there's also the issue of funding, because at the moment, you know, the Northern Ireland students uh, who come in on our undergraduate program pay, um, you know, the EU fee level. So, you know, will that change? Will it affect that? Uh, certainly talking to colleagues in Belfast recently, there's been some um, concern about that. So the feeling is one of, well, you know, we're all working to make sure that we resolve these issues, but there's still some uncertainty, I think, sure. is the best way of summing it up at the moment from an Irish perspective. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> so um, so if we think about this in terms of the, the four years that um, you kind of mentioned, Dr. Reed. Um, we're talking about roughly a generation of students um, who would be kind of coming into the profession more or less. And so um, as students are thinking about their futures, are you hearing anything amongst your kind of um, your current students at any of your institutions that that, you know, this is kind of shaping the way that they think about what their professional futures are going to be as they thought that they might be able, entering the program, they thought that they would be able to kind of transverse the, the continent more easily. Just a, bit, a little bit of context. Um, you know, universities are all about the fee, the same fee sure. um, people working together. Um, and so if we look at some of the, the facts and figures of the residents at the University of Glasgow Berkeley School, 47% of them are European Union nationals not UK. So they're from other countries within the European Union. In terms of academic staff, 22% of them are from the European Union. So actually, in terms of residents, more than 50% of our residents are from somewhere outside the European Union. Um, and that's going to change the dynamics. Already, the universities in the United Kingdom have seen a fall in the number of European Union students who are applying to come to university. Now, the pillars of the EU are about freedom of movement and treating everybody exactly the same. So in essence, what that means if you're, if you're a university student is you pay the same fees mm -hmm. as the home students would pay. So all of that is in doubt. And even the university in terms of trying to think about its future budgets, don't know how that's going to be handled. And, and there's a sense that it's not clear yet what the status of people, European Union nationals will be in the UK in the future in terms of the right to work, the right to stay, that's still in doubt. So there's an awful lot of uncertainty that's already been felt within the university system. So I wonder if we might partition the, the discussion because there are two elements to this. One is around the educational aspects and that applies to not just eventually medical sure. education but right across the piece. <clears throat> and then the impacts on the profession have already heard quite a lot about the, the real implications that there are where you've got a common border. I think if you consider for a moment uh, what's happening within the universities, uh, you and gave you some figures there. They're pretty much the same for us uh, at the Royal Veterinary College. 28% um, of our uh, staff are, are EU nationals. Um, so the uncertainty that Mike spoke about is, is a really big, big issue for us all. Um, but that's again not unique to us in any size, shape, or form. When you consider the things that we do in universities, we educate, um, so our students come from a variety of sources. I have to say we have re relatively few from continental EU uh, come to, to our college. There are some, but not many. We have far more from outside the EU. And the, the message there has been that, you know, the UK is open. You know, London is open in our case, mm -hmm. and Glasgow is open, and Edinburgh and Bristol and wherever else are open for business. It's not about constraining. Um, so from wherever you might come. 
point one, we, we research, we discover things. And um, there, the, the, the real implication is that the UK um, pays into a common pot for research funding in the EU under the European Research Council. And we get disproportionately more out of it than we put in. Mm-hmm. So 20% of the whole spend on research in the EU is, is, is won competitively by UK researchers, of whom veterinary researchers are, are one, will be excluded yeah. from that almost certainly, unless we pay the ticket. And there's some discussion around that. And then there's the issue around clinical services. And I think um, one of the things that uh, we touched upon there about the composition of our staff, very many of our, of our clinicians, world leading clinicians, are, are not UK. Uh, based, sorry, not UK uh, educated, they've come from an, a licensed overseas. So the, the three elements of what we do in veterinary schools will all be impacted. There are plenty of opportunities that come on the back of those. We, we may look for other sources um, of, of research funding elsewhere, but I think we have to be mindful that there will be impact. And then on the profession side of it, and again, the figures are really very, very similar. The schools in the United Kingdom graduate just under a thousand graduates a year, but every year, there's roughly the same number of, of veterinary graduates from outside the UK registered to practice in, in the UK. And of those, the overwhelming majority, probably about 80%, are, are EU nationals. So if they stop coming, we're going to be close on 50% of what we currently need in terms of doing the job. Um, and many of those many of those work in public health and food safety. So there's a, a really big implication. Yeah. For, for society if that stops overnight. I'm not suggesting it will stop overnight, but that has to be a consideration. And if you actually look at the number of registrants on the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons register, um, a little over 50% are UK uh, graduates. The, the rest are from, from elsewhere. So it will have a massive impact on, on the profession for sure. And that's why um, under President Tufnell and at the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons and uh, President Roberts at the um, uh, British Veterinary Association have both formed task forces to ensure that the profession, both the regulator and the membership organisation, are are addressing the issues as they arise. Well, um, so you mentioned, um, and so each of you have kind of mentioned or alluded to some of maybe the opportunities. What are the opportunities? It sounds like there are a lot of concerns, but um, are there opportunities um, and, and how are you kind of positioning your institutions to uh, <laughs> seize those in the, in the face of some of these major concerns? <laughs> I was like, you said there were opportunities. <laughs> There's a much larger set of discussions that can start to happen. Um, at the moment, we are obliged to recognise um, graduates from other EU countries, and um, that comes with advantages and disadvantages. So, uh, that mutual recognition of professional qualifications would no longer be binding uh, on the UK. But there are other issues, for example, around limited licensure. Perhaps we could start to talk about, or indeed, the structure of our, of our veterinary education programmes. We have five years because. Well, historically, it's been five years, but the, the EU directive says there have to be minimum five years. So, so I think a range of opportunities that we could start to look at in terms of how we might structure our educational programmes and indeed then regulate the profession at large. And with that, I'll hand to <laughs> Professor Cameron. Um, I struggle on the advantages at the moment. Um, I, I think if it's about 
greater internationalization, then that's one of the potential advantages. But I haven't found that membership of the European Union has particularly restricted that today. Um, so if it was an extension and, and, and a loosening with their ability to interact with the rest of the world, then that could be a potential advantage. But I haven't pretty well anyway, so I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that, that that's really significant. Um, I think it's fair to say there's a whole many different opinions on the European Union, and one of the one of the criticisms of it was that the the system of government was a little bureaucratic and and, and could feel um, that things take a long time to to change and, and and to move forward. One of the interesting areas for veterinary medicine, of course, is that a very strong element of the European Union has been the common agricultural policy, which essentially been a mechanism to support farming throughout the European Union, and the recognition. There are many parts of of Europe where, if it was left entirely to the free market, um, farming as it exists would not continue. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Now, in the United Kingdom, as a proportion of GDP, farming is much smaller than some other European countries, and therefore has less political lobbying power, less influence. So, one of the interesting questions for the large animal side of veterinary medicine is what will happen. Um, to farming subsidies, uh, the basic um, payment that supports farms and supports beef and supports sheep on grazing and on rough ground in Scotland. What will happen to those schemes in the long term when we're no longer mandated to have to do them because we're no longer part of the European Union? And I suppose interesting times ahead. Indeed. I also find it difficult to be too positive. Um, however, um, we are, you know, optimistic. Um, I think in some sectors, um, one reads of business opportunities in terms of relocation of financial companies, banks to Ireland, and this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But speaking as dean of a vet school, speaking honestly. I think what I've tried to outline is is the uncertainty around it all that, that we feel. Um, and you know, I didn't mention the fact that horses move effortlessly from Ireland to England every day to races and staining, mm -hmm. uh, uh, racing stables, etc. And you know, that's that's a huge sort of thing that's been going on for yeah. years and years. Um, will that be affected? So lots of questions, lots of uncertainty. It's a big ball of wool. However, I mean, one remains optimistic that uh, we, will, we, will, we will we will just come out of it. With excellent relations with, with the United Kingdom in terms of the professional mutual recognition, I would be very optimistic about that. I think the, the one positive thing that I would see is that it's forces to look on the island of Ireland from a veterinary point of view, to work, you know, to build on the on, on the work that's been done already around animal health in Ireland, animal health in the world, or Northern Ireland. That, that it'll force us to do that because we really have to for the benefit of, of the animals and the, the, the health status. Of the island, where we're in the we're in the process of uh, eradicating bovine viral diarrhea on the island of Ireland, we're working hand in hand with our colleagues in the north. That has to continue. So for for animal welfare uh, and animal health. So I think you know one one is optimistic, but uh, you know it's it's I can't admit to be <laughs> singing from the, the rooftops about it either. You know. Um, the UK and in Ireland, 
and when you consider what's going on, I guess, in the U.S., what does recruiting students look like right now um, for your institutions? Um, certainly, I know that there are, I mean, in my, in my work, I, I study applicants, and I've been, in, in the last two years in particular, it's been interesting because some students um, or prospective students who are um, just finishing their application and, and, and have applied to some of your institutions have noted, well, you know, when we look at the conversion rates, it's um, comparable to going to school in the state, um, out of state, um, non-resident. Um, and um, now with the drop in the pound, it, it, it actually is somewhere between going resident and non-resident. So do you see um, maybe a shift in um, recruiting more American students or do you think that those students um, from those EU countries will continue, um, and you know, that you've said that there was a kind of a bit of a decline in some of those applicants, but do you think that that would rebound, at least in this, this middle period while things are, are kind of flop? I think it's really important to, to re-emphasize that the, the relatively small number of students that, that we have coming from continental uh, EU, and I'm looking around okay. and the unit's nodding here. Um, so the biggest issue is one of perception. Um, and I, I think that's something that's happening here right sure. now. Um, I mean, there's a reality and there's a perception, and the two aren't necessarily the same thing. In fact, one can be worse or better than the other. Perception at the moment is that for some reason um, the world is maybe thinking that the UK is closing down. It's it's it's, it's becoming more insular and we're looking. And that's you know um, we have to be positive about the changes. Yeah. They're going to happen, uh, and we've got to make sure that you know as leaders. You know, we promise a bigger and better tomorrow, and that's that's our job. And we, we simply have to do that. And the opportunities, even on an education level, there are going to be more jobs in the UK for vets that are probably educated within the UK. So for the schools, there's an opportunity for, for growth, potentially. Uh, there may be more um, um, a greater availability of places for students who want to join the profession professions. Um, so those are, those are positive aspects. When it comes to um, recruiting from North America, uh, as, as uh, COE accredited AVMA schools, um, we take our responsibilities here very seriously. Uh, we regard ourselves as part of a, an international family that, that, that recognizes that people can come from a number of different walks of life and be educated and share community and so on and so forth. And that, perhaps for me, is the biggest message that the, the, the veterinary community is international. It deals with international issues, international trade, international food supply. Uh, the infectious diseases don't recognize boundaries. And it doesn't matter what the politicians do. Uh, we're going to have to work across those boundaries. And we're going to have to work with people from other nationalities, other nations. So there's actually probably an opportunity to redefine and refocus uh, on how those relationships can work to best advantage, rather than assuming that it is happening at a, a level that is the continent of Europe or an EU political union or whatever. So I think there are a number of positive things. When it comes to the broader consideration of, of, of North America, of course, uh, we have very good relationships, but I notice things are changing here. Uh, you know, how, how student loans will function under a new administration, a federal loan, who knows? Um, that's that to be considered. And also your schools here and profession here are looking as well at expanding the number of places that are several new schools have opened in recent years, in the US in particular. So. Um, the part of the game is actually recognizing that change is a constant factor. The only thing that changes is the rate of change. So um, this, is, this is a really interesting conversation. So what else, I guess, would um, 
you want people to know. I mean, I think that the big takeaway message is that the UK is open for business um, and that this isn't um, really kind of a, a closing. Um, and that is a tough perception, I think, for for folks to, um, to reconcile, I think. Um, and so because of kind of the, the global understanding or lack of understanding, frankly, about what the EU is um, and what it's supposed to do. So this kind of, it's, this has never happened before. So it does kind of feel um, strange and it does feel kind of isolating for those of us who are not in, in this system. And so it's really um, great to hear. And even those opportunities, even if they may be tempered, um, it's great to hear that, that there's an opportunity um, and that there's um, still an openness and that there's a, a, a willingness to kind of see what happens next. What other kinds of things would you want folks to know about um, this kind of uh, period of upheaval um, in um, both academic veterinary medicine and as well as, as the profession in general during this time. I mean, I think that, again, we're still fighting a lot of perceptions. Very briefly, I, I think during this period where we appear to be becoming more conservative is, and the title of our discussion today is about uh, diversity, equality, and opportunity. And, and we have to make sure that we don't um, turn our back on many of the ideals that we, we pursue. That is a diverse profession that welcomes everybody from wherever they, they might come, recognizing that the profession is changing dramatically, uh, predominantly now a female profession and how women's rights within that uh, function appropriately, um, and looking at the leadership to, to ensure that those changes do embrace uh, the diverse community that we, we both serve and should uh, be drawing our members from. Yeah, and I, and I think it's um, it's possible to exaggerate. Certainly, we're coming out the political and trade union, which is the EU, but in many ways, we'll be very much part of Europe uh, and continue to interact with many of the institutions that have grown up. So, we went into what was the, the common market or the EEC back in 1973. So, it's a long time we've been part of Europe. Uh, and one of the organisations that I've been part of is, is EVE, which is an organisation mm -hmm. that seeks to um, improve standards across Europe um, and in many ways works to look at standards for um, accreditation and approval um, of, of veterinary schools. Uh, most veterinary schools in Europe are still actually receive their license from the state but it's an organisation that works together to improve standards, to harmonise standards and I'm very sure that our relationship with EVO will continue to be very strong, will be part of that European family, part of it. Uh, North American family uh, and, and the, the countries in between the two areas um, to continue to look at how we move to working together, working together more successfully, continuing to drive up standards in veterinary education and, and veterinary clinical work. And those connections will still remain strong. They will continue to take place. Certainly, um, we are schools are members of EVE and, and it's certainly not my intention to leave that organisation. Yeah, and I, I would echo um, what my colleagues here have said in terms of what this is about diversity and global outreach and mm -hmm. welcoming people. Kid me, la Foch, that stuff. And the other thing is, we, I don't think we want to send out a, a negative message because sure it's right that you know, leaders are expected to 
to really put the best foot forward. We offer the exceptional student experience in the university and excellence, and we will continue to do that. And within, you know, with, between Ireland and the UK, we we, we work very closely. With, uh, Dublin is, is part of the Veterans Schools Council, um, and that will continue. And I, I think it may well become stronger. So if you're trying to look at the positives, yeah, that sometimes in this atmosphere of uncertainty, bonds can strengthen. And, and that's the message I would like to send out rather than anything negative. Do any of you have anything else that you want to, to add to this discussion? All right. <laughs> I don't think we have um, any more questions um, from me, but I think that that's a great the show on. If you have additional questions um, for our guests, please do not hesitate to send them to diversitymatters at aavmc.org. And we will make sure that those um, questions get answered and are embedded into um, the final cut of the video um, on YouTube, as well as um, in the audio version that will be released shortly. So with that, I thank you for joining us for this episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Thank you to our guests. Really, really appreciate you taking some time this morning when we could all be outside in the sun watching the palm trees. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so with that, we will see you later um, this month. Uh, we have just scheduled our Black History Month episode Tuesday, February 27th um, at 5 p.m. Eastern, and that show will feature um, Dr. Willie Reed, Dean at Purdue, Dr. Ruby Perry, Dean at Tuskegee University, and a previous Iverson Award winner, um, Dr. Paige Carmichael, a professor at University of Georgia. So be sure to join us for that episode. With that, we will sign off. Thank you so much, and have a great day.